greatest racing drivers of all time. Senna, hero to Brazil. Go back in time. Helmet on, fully focused, 1994. Oh, okay. Carry on, young chap. The Apex F1 Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the F1 flashback series. Wow, I believe we are coming back for our second part of the Senna episode, which is today on May 1st. Uh, hold on, let me see if I could find Willem real quick. Willem, Willem, where are you at? I couldn't hear you. You were kind of far away. What did you say you were doing? Uh, I was on the toilet. Oh, okay. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, that's okay. That's that's about <laughs> it. I mean, I can't really explain it. What did you want me for? Um, uh, we're we're supposed to go back in time. Oh, hold on. Let me see if I can find the the button real quick. Because what exactly were we going back in time for again? Right. Um, when we left off last time, we just finished the 1993 season. By this point, Senna has left McLaren to join Williams. Prost is retired, and Schumacher has become one of the big faces of Formula One. And that's pretty much where we ended our story. So I think we need to go back to the year I was born, 1994. Oh, all right. More specifically, we got to go back to the UK in 1994. So I hope you've got your crumpets and teas ready and uh your fancy english dialect because it's it's gonna get interesting well i say carry on young chap please don't do that again <laughs> <laughs> all right let's hit this button oh god why why every time we do that it makes me sick i just oh. think that it's just funny how we tell people we're actually in a time machine and we're not, you know. Wait, don't tell the kids. <laughs> yeah, don't tell the kids that we're in a time machine. Yeah, I mean it's still it's still pretty funny because it's we're just listening to a audio narrative. That's true. That's true. But hey, look at us. We're at a Williams function event here in the United Kingdom in 1994. Senna in his tweed jacket is now officially presented to the team. Expectations are high. And it's it's important to probably talk about some key players in this whole 1994 drama. You, you've obviously got Ayrton. You've got his teammate Damon Hill, son to Graham Hill, three-time Formula One world champion, one of the greatest racing drivers of all time. And also, I think, and I could be wrong, I think was one of the highest regarded Grand Prix winners of all time around Monaco. I think he won it five times, but Senna in 93 beat him uh beat his record so a very very good racing driver pedigree from the technical and sort of the management side there's some interesting people involved there's obviously frank williams who's the owner and founder of the williams formula one team then there's patrick head head of car development and one of the technical folks within the team and uh, you might recognize this fellow oh, technical hey. director adrian newey which I didn't hey. know. If I don't Hi, know Mr. if you knew Newey. that. Hello, Mr. Newey. He had Hi. a lot more oh, hair. Okay. 
Yeah, and he just walked right past us. He didn't even see us. So he's uh, he's looking at catering budgets. That's what he's doing at this point um, in his career. Uh, must be a food guy. Uh, you know, he's just preparing to deal with you know crazy British failed racing drivers who find ways to win championships in manipulative ways. Who knew? Uh, <laughs> that's our dig. Um, but uh, yeah, lots of players involved in 1994. So Williams, they're the team to beat. Okay, you remember last time we talked about 92-93, complete whitewash seasons. Williams have this active suspension. But for 1994, this technology is completely removed. It's gone back to really the basics of racing. No traction control, no fancy tech, none of that crap. It's just simple, pure 90s, semi-automatic V10 Formula One racing at its absolute finest. And it's it's something that really excites the paddock because obviously it's an opportunity for teams to sort of bunch back up to the top of the field. And really, the team that Williams are really fighting or the perception that Williams are fighting for this season is really themselves. Kind of in the same manner that Red Bull are in right now where they don't really feel or the, the general perception is that, you know, Williams are only really racing against themselves. However, in preseason testing, Senna discovers that it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Why would it be a, a challenge for him, though? Well, you see, Ayrton has a problem, a, a big problem. See, this car, although it's it's good, and, and he's relatively like on the pace with it quite quickly and early on in preseason, he notices the car is it's on edge. You know, it, it only works in a certain condition. I guess the best way I can explain it is this. Like, if you imagine, what's it? If Do you know the quarterback Nick Foles from the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah. You know, he kind of beat Tom Brady. Yeah, I'm familiar with him. On his day, Nick Foles can be a brilliant, brilliant quarterback. But that's like 10% of the time, right? 90% of the time, he's average or worse, if that makes sense. So... This is kind of what this car is, you know, and, and Senna is always at that 10%, but if he makes even one mistake, he's kind of back of the field, not really in the same comfortable window. And Williams discover very early on that their concept is, is just not good enough. And both the drivers, Damon Hill and Ayrton, are kind of struggling to really work their head around. So going into preseason... Sorry, coming out of preseason testing, Senna is not particularly in a good situation. He's, he's very uncomfortable. And, and what, to make matters worse, there are two other big things that are also happening at this point. Like what? Well, uh, first of all, Benetton. Michael Schumacher has Ooh. been doing really well in preseason testing. The GOAT. So, the GOAT. Well, well at that time, at that he time, was just... He was a nobody. He was probably the little to Senna, <laughs> like, you know, that guy who was kind of annoying him because, you know, Schumacher was doing quite well, was ruffling feathers with him. They'd had a couple of collisions at this point. I don't think we really talked much about Schumacher no, in the previous episode. I don't I don't believe we did because we were mainly focusing on the um, the Alan Prost and and Senna rivalry. But I know that I'm very familiar with the Schumacher and um Ayrton Senna rivalry that they had in the beginning of their careers together. Well, so so Senna and Schumacher didn't race each other until Formula One, but they weren't really 
in the same half of the grid most of the time. In, in 92 and 93, there were sprinkled moments when the two would be involved with each other. And most famously, I think in 1992, uh, Schumacher sort of like collided Schumacher. with Senna and Timo there was a public Senna. fight that happened where Senna sort of lectured him like he usually does. Um, but but honestly, Schumacher, I guess the best way I can explain it is that Schumacher is kind of an innocent soul during all of this in, in, in some ways. He doesn't really have the best car. And 1994, it's looking like Benetton might have built a very, very good package. You know, the Ford engine is, is quite complete. The the brilliant mind of Ross Braun and Rory Byrne and Pat Simmons are are all in motion. Uh, Ross Braun, you probably know, mm-hmm. Ross Braun it was the chairman or the CEO of the Formula One management group and obviously team principal and CEO of the Mercedes Motorsport Group and Formula One Group. Braun GP, Honda, Ferrari, you know that jazz. This was his like first big spotlight moment minus his Le Mans success and GT success so it's it's a really solid team that had had always been kind of midfield all of a sudden are potentially in the fight to win more races and be a bit more competitive i guess you can kind of see it as the big jump for red bull from 2020 to 21 where red bull only won i think one race with max schumacher is kind of like um in that position going into 94 where all of a sudden in, in 21 for red bull you know, they're on the pace, they're faster than the Mercedes, just, but they are faster than the Mercedes, and, um, you know, Benetton just are faster than the Williams, and more specifically, Schumacher is obviously in a better position, a more complete position than Ayrton Senna. He's sort of like the rival that's up and coming to Ayrton Senna, and he, he was more of like a thorn in his side, but not entirely. Yeah, no, Senna did not really see Schumacher as much as a threat. I think he sent Schumacher idolized Senna for a long time, had posters of him. It is in his uh, bedroom and all that kind of stuff. Like really, really admired Senna. In fact, after the first of May, and even in, in 2010, he famously did an interview with the BBC and top gear where he said, I think the greatest racing driver of all time is Ayrton Senna. So despite what Senna thought of, of Schumacher, Schumacher thought highly of Ayrton Senna. He really, admired Senna to a really well-respected level. But Senna, as you know, is a polarizing guy. As a human, great person. As a racing driver, hey, you're dead to me. You know, that's kind of how Senna kind of works as an individual. So going into 94, the Benetton, as I said, is looking good. And the second problem that Senna has going into 94 is some personal issues. And this is the one part of Senna's story that isn't really covered, which is that Senna is dating. It is kind of important because it adds to the tragedy. You see, Senna had been dating previously a very famous TV presenter from Brazil. She's very famous for two or three seasons in Formula One. They broke up, which really annoyed the father of Ayrton Senna, Milton da Silva. And Milton is controlling guy, deeply Catholic, Christian sort of individual Really wants Senna to find the right person. I'm going to say 92, maybe. Senna meet, and at the Brazilian Grand Prix meets a woman called Adrian. And Adrian was this pit girl from, from Shell. And Senna completely fell heads over heels over her, which is which is just incredible. And um, one day Senna appears at the home of Adrian 
where she's still living with her mother because she didn't earn a lot of money doing that type of gig. And Senna just walks in, this hero of Brazil, into her home. Senna com basically confesses his love for her, and they fall in love. They move to Portugal together. The family hates this because she's not really from the wealthiest of backgrounds. But as you know, Senna is a, is a good man. He's an inherently good man who has just been through absolute hell over the last few years with his relationships kind of going on and off. And so in 1994, a big bulk actually of his like distractions outside of Formula One were obviously his charitable stuff, but also dealing with his family. And he was so fed up of his family at this point and fed up that they were controlling him and kind of manipulating every part of the situation. So he's got that to contend with. And it's not really been the easiest way to begin your potential fourth championship campaign with a highly successful, but now apparently quite volatile Formula One team. So with him meeting his, his love and being able to, I don't, I don't want to say he started a family because I don't believe he has any kids, right? He doesn't. No, he doesn't. And I mean, we obviously not going to talk about Senna's romantic life, but Timothy Rubithan's book talks a lot about Ayrton Senna really having some very interesting relationships over the years. And I think the most interesting is obviously Adrian, his his final partner, because she was a, a, a very decent woman. You know, she was a she, very caring, very much invested into his motorsport career, far more normal than the women that he had been around all of his life. And he was very picky about the type of people he wanted to be around as well as the women he wanted to be around with. Yes, he wanted to have kids. He was 34 years old, about to turn 34 years old. And that's really it. But I think we should crack on with the 94 season because it starts off in Brazil, which is interesting. Most of, in fact, in, up until I think 2004, the Brazilian Grand Prix was one of the first few races of the season because of the climate and all that. And Ayrton qualifies on pole position. Schumacher is up there and thereabouts in the race. Senna and Schumacher have a brief sort of battle, but it ends in tears, basically, because Senna spins, there's some problems with the car, and he has to DNF. Schumacher wins the Grand Prix. Not a good start. Final Grand Prix in Brazil that he has at this point, but he doesn't know it. Schumacher is obviously elated. Benetton are not surprised. Williams are just surprised how they have built a car that's just super sensitive to anything. Then... At the Pacific Grand Prix, Senna is taken out at Turn 1. And <laughs> that, there goes his other race, his second Grand Prix of the season. So he's got two DNFs. And in those days, Formula 1 races, the seasons were not very long compared to what we have now. Um, they ended after like 16, 17 races. So with the smaller points that you received for winning, it wasn't looking good, man, for, for Ayrton. Williams are, are shocked by how bad the start of the season has been. Senna is, is frustrated. And to make matters worse, Senna suspects that Benetton are cheating. And and this is the brilliance of Senna. He, during the red flag, when the race was being restarted, he observed the start of Schumacher and realized that Schumacher had been planting traction control lines on, on, on the start line, and he was convinced that traction control was still kind of there on that Benetton. And everyone kind of denied him except for Williams. Williams were like, well, hang on, that, that might be the case, because there the starts that 
the Benettons would have in general would be at this point incredible and Senna Schumacher would also have the ability to do pit stops a lot quicker which we'll get to later on in the episode but he also was able to just generate an incredible amount of traction out of the corners compared to uh, Senna and Senna could see that without looking at any telemetry or cameras or anything sophisticated Senna can physically see that and that's just again Senna's brilliant engineering mind kicking in coming out of that Grand Prix so the pressure is on Fire and Senna and this unfortunately is the last full Grand Prix weekend oh, that Ayrton God. participates in because the next Grand Prix weekend is the Grand Prix of San Marino at Imola. Imola is a brilliant Grand Prix circuit, but there's one corner that this track has been, at this point, highly debated to have issues with, which is Tamburello. Now, Tamburello is this very easy, flat left-hander at this point. Very different from the Tamburello we know now, which is a left-right and left chicane. It's aimed to slow the cars down. In those days, Tamburello was just an easy, flat corner. But over the last few years... There would be catastrophic accidents that would happen because there was not a lot of runoff because there was a lake running right next to Tamburello as a chicane. And for a variety of reasons, the, the track organizers couldn't do anything about it. So drivers were basically told to just get used to that corner. Anyway, Imola, it, it, the, the, the talk of the town in Imola is obviously, hey, Senna, you better get it together. Williams, you better get together Senna's running out of time if he wants to win the four his fourth title he's gonna have to do better than what he's doing right now so Senna proclaims at the very beginning of the weekend on Thursday that the season starts now here at San Marino whatever you just saw is irrelevant it starts now and and in fairness to Senna and to Williams going into this weekend they were quite confident that they had made the right direction change with the car now on Friday the first of a many chain of dark events start happening. Do you know the driver Rubens Barrichello? Um, I, I have heard of him, yes. Yes, I am very familiar with him. You probably remember him from his time in Braun and at Ferrari, where, you know, he was Schumacher's teammate and he was Jensen Button's teammate. Rubens had actually had a very solid start to his Formula, Formula One career at this point. was very well ad admired by Senna. Senna liked him a lot, and, you know, the Brazilian drivers stuck together quite a bit. Rubens ha is driving for Jordan, and the Jordan car that he was driving was, was actually having a solid start to the season. That is until that weekend, where Rubens has a relatively slow speed crash, but because of the lack of runoff at the latter part of the chicane, at this point nowhere near Tamburello, he crashes and he his car ricochets into a forward flip in the air. He breaks his nose, he gets badly bruised, it is a horrific crash, and people are completely shocked because it's so violent at low speed and it's just incredible that he even got injured. I mean, don't forget at this point, Formula One had not really experienced a tragedy over a weekend like this for a very long time. You know, the last time I think they had a, a serious injury like this was at 1992 at the Belgium Grand Prix of Eric Comas, which Senna famously saved his life um, during that Grand Prix weekend too. Now Rubens is, is injured, but he's fine. But he's not allowed to race that weekend thanks to Sir Sid Watkins, who is the reason Formula One drivers today rarely have mortalities because he was a pioneer involving the safety in Formula One and working with the FIA and the teams to homologate at the absolute peak safety requirements in Formula One, like the head and neck support system 
that the drivers has the hands device, which is the thing that they wear at the back of their helmets now. Fuel tanks that had like different that were are basically bags essentially. I think he was responsible for that. The headrest system, which prevents drivers from getting clipped from the side. That's why you know in 21 when Hamilton and Mercedes said you know hey Lewis could have had his head cut off by Max. There's a reason that comment was made. It was because if Sir Sid Watkins was not there and was not the medical officer in Formula One, Hamilton right now would probably be dead. So it's it's a very, he was a very serious man about safety and he took safety very seriously and so did Ayrton Senna. And the two of them were very close friends. Now, Saturday, April 30th, Roland Ratzenberg, he's driving for the Syntex Formula One team. This is a team that's crap. Roland Ratzenberg, it's only his third race weekend in Formula One, you know, He's his teammate is David Brabham is the son of Jack Brabham. This is a terrible car with a terrible budget, a terrible team. It's it's a team that's kind of just wants to be an F1 for the sake of F1. Just after Tamburello, Roland Ratzenberg from Austria, who again, a relatively talented driver, he finally gets his break, has a decent uh, first two races of the season. He's going through the le- the right hander just before the Tosa hairpin. And his car basically disintegrates at 194 miles an hour, 190 miles an hour, crashes into the wall in front of live television, ricochets all the way to the Tosa hairpin, and his whole neck and head just sort of like dangling out of the cockpit, essentially. So Sid Watkins comes to the scene and right at that moment proclaims Roland Ratzenberg has died. Oh my god. It is the first tragedy since the mid-80s that Formula One experiences and it shocks everyone in the paddock because obviously death is is something that can happen in formula one but at this point is is so rare and it's so unlikely for formula one to actually experience and to make matters more tragic senna comes to the scene of the crime essentially of the accident tries to help out any way he can so sid Watkins has a bad feeling about this weekend so does senna senna gets pole um not controversially he he kicked Schumacher's ass pretty badly before this uh, this accident happened. Senna is very, very shocked because he he has finally seen a death happen in his in his professional career. He doesn't know really how to take it. He goes up to, to Sid Watkins in, in complete traumatized fashion. And so Sid makes a comment saying, you know, Ayrton, you like to fish. I like to fish. Why don't we just hang up our boots and just go fishing right now? Like, let's quit Formula One. Let's stop it. And Sir Sid said, we should stop it. Like, we, we've done our part. Like, this sport does not need, need us right now. But in typical Senna fashion, he says, I, I can't quit. I, I just can't quit. And little did anyone know that that was, was the last error, really, that Senna makes in his professional career. Imagine if Senna had been convinced by Sid Watkins. We would not be doing this episode right now. We would be talking about a driver who had a very decent, 10 season career with three world titles under his belt but instead oh my god we gotta talk about the day after this first of may 1994 i think it's important to say that this next part of the story is quite graphic viewers if you are if you are nauseous or you find anything tough about hearing any of this we totally understand um, but it is important you could skip ahead 100 of course we encourage you to continue listening because it is important and it makes you realize kind of why motorsport is dangerous. There's a reason it's dangerous, and it's because it is a high-speed sport, R&D race cars, 
that are aimed to be at the top of the peak of the peak of the peak with the best drivers who are not the best because necessarily they're just fast, but because they know what they're actually doing. So when things go wrong, they go really, really wrong in Formula 1. So Sunday, May 1st, 1994, Senna wakes up in the morning. He reads a passage in the Bible that says, God is going to give you the greatest gift of them all closes the Bible, puts it away. It's the last time he will ever read a Bible. During this weekend, his brother Leonard is trying to convince Senna to break up with Adrian and not marry her. Little does Leonard know and the Senna family, but Ayrton has already picked a ring, bought a ring, and the following race, like the following day, May 2nd, he was going to propose to Adrian. And he brings an Austrian flag to mourn Roland Ratzenberg, and he hides it underneath the sleeve of his race suit. Now, in the morning of that event, the Grand Prix Drivers Association gets formed, or at least the discussions start to begin, thanks to Schumacher, Senna, Berger, and Nicky Lauda. These four guys, who are the, the reason GPDA exists, which still exists to this day, it's a very important organization just for the drivers, that help basically provide feedback to the FIA for standard practices and all that. It is there to, because of what had happened the day before, on April 30th. So they have this very early morning session. Martin Brundle quotes Senna of being quite timid and quite scared and quite sad. And don't forget, those two had a very interesting relationship, but a relationship built on a lot of respect. And Schumacher, for the first time, those two saw eye to eye, Schumacher and Senna. And and also, here's the, the, the even bigger tragedy. At this point, Alan Pross is a commentator for TF1, is also an ambassador for, for Williams. Prost and Senna actually have dinner together, which is crazy that these two guys hated each other. And all of a sudden they're having dinner that weekend talking about and reminiscing about their past and kind of the things they wanted to do together from a business perspective and really, you know, start to do more things together. Now that Prost had retired and is sort of focusing on his personal life with his uh, children and uh, Senna talking about his nephew, Bruno, who would end up in Formula One in the end. You know, lots of things... Good things are happening at the same time as very tragic things. On the start of the grid, Senna does this thing that he, he does for every single race of his career, except for this weekend, where he, he drives to the grid with a helmet on and he doesn't leave the cockpit. Most drivers nowadays, they have to leave the cockpit, cockpit because of procedures, but Senna doesn't. He stays in the car, waits till you know it's time to go racing. Helmet on, fully focused and everything. That weekend, Senna parks his car in his grid spot, pole position, takes his helmet off, closes his eyes and it's the last sort of shot you have of Senna before the race begins. And it's very tragic and apparently Gerard Berger recalls, because they had a very funny relationship those two, Senna winking at him and making a little smile and joke with him. Berger's driving for Ferrari a few positions back, nowhere near the pace of Senna at this point. It's a sad atmosphere but Senna gives a little bit of that last smile to, to Berger. So the race begins, and it starts with a big crash with J.J. Leto. Both drivers are fine, but it's a heavy, heavy crash. I mean, it's a proper start crash, and it's already not a good start to this Grand Prix. Safety car comes out till lap five, and the debris is cleared. Senna is, is kind of struggling behind the safety car. He thinks that the safety car is going a bit too slow. In fact, this is actually the first year, or maybe the second year, but I think it's the first year that a safety car is introduced in Formula One. Lap six... He's racing, he's doing. He's do, trying to pull a gap from Schumacher, it's very hard, Schumacher's still got a very quick car, Senna obviously has the quicker car. He exits the final corner on lap 6, 
And you could see this footage online, but Senna goes to Tamburello into lap seven, and all of a sudden, his car runs straight into the wall of that corner. There's no runoff. He runs straight in. The car bounces off the chicane. His He looks like he's been knocked out unconscious. Most people think, oh, it's just a... He's probably broken his leg or something like that, but nothing crazy. Schumacher definitely thinks this as well. The session is right flagged. The They notice Senna moves just a little bit, and everyone thinks he's fine. There's nothing wrong. So Sid Watkins comes to the scene. There's blood now on the racetrack. The track is starting to really... It's starting to become a little bit of an investigation moment. Senna gets airlifted to hospital. All the drivers are still on the grid. Schumacher ends up winning that Grand Prix. He's ecstatic, but that's only because he doesn't know what's actually going on in the meantime in that helicopter and in the hospital. Don't forget, this is very different from like our day and age. There was no reliable source. These drivers are not told literally anything. Neither are the, the commentators. People are making speculation. Oh, he's kind of injured. Oh, he might be in a coma. You know, Schumacher's told this, actually, for the most part, towards the end of the Grand Prix, when he's finished, and he says, oh, he's in a coma. He says, well, but he'll, he'll wake up from that coma, right? So in the hospital, he the, 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 he doesn't last very long, Senna. Um, he's struggling. He's, he's got a huge frontal lobe injury, and, and they don't have much time to, to help him out. And unfortunately, 30 minutes after they had landed in the hospital, or an hour or two after the hospital, he's on life support. They pull him off life support just before the end of the Grand Prix. Senna's proclaimed dead in Bologna Hospital. There goes the end of the life of the world's greatest racing driver. Everyone doesn't receive the news. I actually get emotional thinking about it because it, it, he's, a, he's a martyr for the sport. Everything this man stood for, he did it out of decency and putting a smile on people's faces for the sake of entertainment. This man dies doing the thing he loves. And he had no control over this accident. He goes and they have a funeral in Sao Paulo. Three ah. days of national mourning. So the country shuts down for three days. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if like, if we ever did that with like, God forbid, with some of our favorite athletes? Brazil shuts the whole country down. 150 million people are, are, are pouring into the streets. And if you, you can see the footage to this day, the country completely loses it. This is the impact of Ayrton Senna. When Pelle passed away, you know, recently, obviously people were very sad, but I would argue no one was anywhere near as sad for Pele as they were for Ayrton Senna. Senna was the chosen one for the Brazilian people. He brought hope to that country, and instead it ended in 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 in, in such such tragedy. Such tragedy, yeah. Was, and I'm sure he had no idea, you know. But it's all these like little things that sort of lead up to that. There's a, a time where i'm sure they say enough is enough like and it's literally two people have passed away within a matter of two days you know roland ratzenberg and now the death of Ayrton senna there had to have been some change from this because the impact the life-saving maneuvers like they, there had to have been some change from this right there's a lot of things that happen that's why i call senna kind of a martyr his death start started this revolution of formula one safety driver etiquette all that kind of stuff because up to that point it was a rich man's sport with some sponsors it only became really professional and taken to the next level actually thanks to drivers like schumacher specifically but also because of the death of iron senna so there are tighter crash restrictions 
tethers are in included in Formula One. Tethers are that system where wheel comes off. Basically, it doesn't fully come off the whole wheel. It's still tied to the car somehow with like a very strong elastic mechanism. Speaking of, how did Senna die? Because this is something that to this day is still debated. No one actually knows if Senna died. The black box system, which is a telemetry system that planes and many sort of high ops, special ops sort of vehicles and special vehicles have, that system is made to detect accidents and tragedies, essentially. And the black box was damaged because of that crash. Complete mystery. So people had to base a lot of the crash on like existing footage. So you see... The next part of the story actually consists of, after the funeral, the Williams Formula One team is sent to court. Because in Italy, if you've created a car and your passenger dies in that car, road car or race car, you are responsible for their death. And Williams gets sued a ton of money for unintentionally, in the eyes of the Italian government, killing Ayrton Senna. And so a huge investigation which involves the FIA, Williams, the courts of Italy into this. And um, the, the, the results are inconclusive, but they do proclaim that Williams are at fault. Adrian Newey, to this day, still feels like he is partly responsible for the death of Ayrton Senna. He gets very emotional talking about it. There is actually some interviews of him tearing up because of talking about that. Because he And you can understand, like, if you've designed a car where someone has died in that design of your car and you're very human and you know how the world works it's it's a horrible feeling and it's it's something that like most of the people in williams to this day who were involved in that in the early 90s all the way till now could never shake off and so the investigation the results come that there are several ways they think senna died the first and most unlikely was an assassination attempt, which I doubt happened. But literally, there's like people who, who who claimed he could have been assassinated because he there was rumors that he could potentially be running for president of the Brazilian government, which Senna, the president, very popular guy in Brazil, he had hinted that he was thinking about a life past F1, setting up his roots, his business, his Ducati deals, all that, and really getting involved with the politics because he was investing a lot of his personal fortune into education there were other conspiracies that happened in involving you know just sort of fan discouragement all that but the most likely reason senna died is because of two potential incidents one is that a piece of the suspension that hit senna pierced through his helmet which they don't think actually happened what they actually the most likely thing that happened is that it was a, a it was a slight steering column failure and he he and you could see it a little bit in the onboard. He's turning left, and all of a sudden the steering column just sort of doesn't work. And he's trying to continue turning left, and it just it just doesn't work. All of a sudden, he admit, they admit that actually Williams that he had adjusted the steering column and that it wasn't properly sort of welded in particularly well. And so they believe that he hits the wall, and then a tire hits him in the face, and that that's it. Like it's just internal bleeding. And if that had, and that tire had moved. Five centimeters away from his helmet, Senna would have walked away from that crash. Going back to the point you're making, what were the changes that were made? The Grand Prix Drivers Association is formed officially in Monaco. FIA start to do more testing and sa and safety regulations. They add headrests to prevent uh, drivers getting hit on the side of the helmet, just like how Senna experienced his death. They do more rigorous suspension and tire testing. Crash structures are introduced properly in the Formula One monocoques. And also, like I said, the wheel tethers that prevent the wheels sort of 
flying all over the place. And of course, you know where all the safety is still going right now. We now, as a result of this, have the Halo system, which people may hate because of how it aesthetically looks, but it has saved the lives of several Grand Prix drivers already. Numerous people. You know, we've got Hamilton, we've Verstappen, we've got Leclerc. Yep. That that incident in um, in uh, Belgium, that was a pretty intense one. <laughs> Even uh, with Joe Guanyu at, uh, at Silverstone. Silverstone. Yeah. That's another very good example. All came because there was now finally a greater emphasis of like, right, we want these drivers to race the next weekend you know mm. or even the next day and so these drivers go through a lot and um, that is a result of the death of Ayrton Senna um, the rest of the 94 season um, to executively summarize obviously Schumacher goes on to win a few races Damon Hill wins a Grand Prix and then becomes Schumacher's big title uh, contender they find out that Benetton indeed cheated not necessarily for the traction control stuff that Senna had predicted, but there was they weren't far off. They felt like he had they had some evidence that it was the case, but they didn't have enough to make it concrete. But Schumacher, they find out that because their pit stop times were way too quick, and they had no... Uh, they, they had done something in the fuel system that allowed the cars to refuel a lot quicker. As a result of Max's father's a huge fireball pit lane incident that, uh, that happened. And Schumacher ends up winning the championship by crashing into Damon Hill, whether intentionally or unintentionally, is still up to debate. But both drivers get knocked out of the Grand Prix, and Schumacher ends up being a the 1994 Formula One World Championship. But he dedicates the championship to Ayrton Senna. As a result uh, of this, the Senna family obviously they they proclaim they'd never go racing again. I think Leonardo actually dies from a horrible bike accident. Adrian obviously, you know, is no longer part of the Senna picture. Bruno Senna ends up becoming a Formula One driver and Le Mans driver and Formula E driver. Senna's sister, uh, Vivian, ends up running the Senna Foundation, which to this day is still helping poor, innocent kids in Brazil who lack education. And that's pretty much the story of Ayrton Senna da Silva. Wow. Um... Let me ask you something before this time machine button goes off again. It's do you think that Ayrton Senna sort of had an idea that something bad could possibly happen, even with all of this stuff leading up to his death? Or did did you think that he was more of I'd rather outweigh the risks than the than the costs? Well, old drivers who drive in Formula One even to this day, you know, are are in it because it's risky. I mean that they're they're complete freaks in nature. They're, they're these are people who are not on the same planet that you and I are on when they're driving a race car. And Senna was definitely no exception to that. Did Senna think deep in his his heart that it was a bad that bad things were going to happen? As you saw from heard from the reaction of Sir Sid Watkins when he asked him that this question, no, he he genuinely thought he was going to be fine, finish the Grand Prix. Uh, he didn't really care if he was going to win or not. Really, to be honest, that weekend. He had other shit that I think he was more interested and focused on at this point of his Formula One career um, and that Formula One weekend. I just think he wanted to get the weekend over and done with. And I think Schumacher was exactly the same, to be honest. I, I don't think so. I think even the passage he read, I don't think it led to the thing that actually happened in the end to Ayrton Senna. I know you. we've we've been through this, you know, these, these past two episodes and and everything where you know we've been through the the life and the beginning of of Senna all the way up to his formula 1 career and the success the success of him as a driver his rivalries with other people all leading up to his death 
his early, early death in 1994 on May 1st. Who is Ayrton Senna to you? Wow. I, I would say Senna is a lot of things. It's very, very hard to summarize. But I think Jeremy Clarkson, who I'm sure you know who Jeremy Clarkson is, but like Jeremy did a great documentary about Senna. At the very end of it, he kind of perfectly summed up this, this special that he did on Senna which was, he said, basically, ever since I can remember, I always thought Gilles Villeneuve was the greatest racing driver I ever knew. And the thing is, Villeneuve was spectacular on a number of occasions. Senna was spectacular every single time he drove into a Formula One car. And I think that's the best way I can ex- describe Senna. Senna's the only driver where, good or bad, it was, it, it was kind of like that Jordan effect, you know, where when you go wanting to go to a basketball game, you wanted to go to the, the Chicago Bulls or anything Michael Jordan was involved with, right? Because Jordan brought that. You knew you were going to get a good game out of him no matter what. Senna was exactly like that. Senna with his Banzai qualifying laps, his incredible driving style. Senna with his humanity. Senna is the most human Formula One driver in the history of Formula One. One of the reasons I, I don't like currently Formula One right now is because of the fact that these drivers are either artificially very human or just assholes. You know, I like Lewis Hamilton. I I really do. And I think there's a lot of good things that he brings to Formula One glamour and all that. But as I said in episode one, Hamilton hasn't done the same sort of charitable work Senna did. Hamilton hasn't dedicated like his whole life to Formula One. Hamilton is a bit more of a brand compared to Ayrton Senna. Although I think Hamilton, you know, is is brilliant and he's he's in my top three and he always will be in my top three as one of my favorite drivers of all time. He's not Senna because Senna is far more human. And then as a racing driver, you know, the comparisons with him and Max, the difference, again, to me is that, you know, Senna was a bloody fair racing driver. He never brake checked another driver to win a championship. When he did bad to win races and championship, he was the first to own up, and he got penalized to do that too. You know, was he perfect? Absolutely not. But by Joe, he was he was a pure racing driver, and the last of a very rare breed of pure racing drivers. So to me, Senna is is when you think of racing driver, you think of Senna. You don't think of his records. You don't think of any of his statistics, to be honest. You think of the races. He's the only driver I can think of where you can think of like 20 races and they were all more interesting than any Formula One driver, past or present, could ever do. And there was a reason Fangio and him got along very well before Fangio passed away. It was because Fangio saw that greatness in him the moment he stepped into a racing car. That, to me, is what Senna is. I'm curious, now that you've listened to Senna, going back to the first question that I asked in episode one, do you think Senna is one of the greatest, if not the greatest racing driver of all time? I So based off of everything that we've seen, you know, Sao Paulo, Interlagos, you know, we've we've been through many different places and, and we ended here at Imola, that based off of the information that you have shared with us and doing my own research and checking out who Senna is and was and what his life was. And I think that he is and was one of the most talented and poignant drivers of his era. I'm not saying that he, that he isn't the greatest of all time. He is very, very exceptionally talented. 
as a driver, kind of tenacity that most drivers do not have. And I think his ability to see more in depth and analytically is if you're looking more and more in depth into your car and finding how to bring out the most out of it, even with a piece of junk, Tolman, Tolman God, or yeah. working our way up into the Lotus years. Exactly. Him as a driver, his ability to work in all kinds of machinery and his ability to pull out the best out of it definitely says something, especially as a, as a driver yourself. It's one thing to have boosted machinery or, you know, like innovative technologies and concepts like what we have today. It's one thing when you have no power steering and you're sellotaping your, your radiator to your thing while driving around on a Grand Prix to win it and still maintain your ability to function as a, as a racing driver. That says a lot. So I would definitely say that coming out of this, this F1 flashback, that yes, he was, is one of the greatest drivers of all time. We still have a lot of drivers that fit that mold. You know, we've got Michael Schumacher. We've got uh, Lewis Hamilton. Jim Clark. Exactly. We've got we've got uh, Montoya. You know, Montoya was a really great driver. Fernando Montoya Alonso was, was not it. Yes, he was. No, he wasn't. Montoya <laughs> was was good for a few seasons. Senna was spectacular every season, even in that Williams car, which was was a bit of a dog in the beginning of the year. Well, we'll have to we'll have to go through back when we go through his F1 flashback. Oh God, but. Because if you're not going to do it, then I'll make you do it. I mean, I'm happy to do it. We'll ask the viewers what they think. Yeah. The one thing I will say, I think Senna is the most pure racing driver in the world. Why? Because he was asked in an interview in 1993 about who his ultimate rival was. And he didn't say Prost. He didn't say Mansell. He didn't say the twerp PK. He didn't say any of that. He said it was that one dude he went racing with in go-karts, Terry Fullerton, way back in the 70s and 80s. That is Ayrton Senna, the racing driver, because go-karting is the most pure form of racing. And Senna was still recognized that man, that British driver, as the best driver he ever raced against because of that. So Senna is is like i said he's he's a messiah he's he's a hero to to sport to brazil to a lot of people but he's 100% the purest racing driver the sport has ever seen and the sport will ever see mm, 100% well i think with that i think it's time we it sounds like the machine's going off oh dear why don't we head back oh i don't Whoa! know okay I miss the 90s. Well, I miss, you know, I miss the 90s, but it, it's it's weird. I was always watching, like, Nickelodeon or whatever and stuff like that back in the 90s, but anyways. I was picking my nose in the 90s. I, did, I also just realized something. You were born in 94. I was born you... right after Sunna died, so. Ooh. My, 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 sort of like the thing I always told people was like, ah, oh, maybe I am the next Ayrton Senna. Then I realized, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> your, carding, Very your carding record says otherwise. Yeah, well, I mean, I, yeah, I guess it's, uh, but like, you know, it is amazing. We covered a full season in one hour. I mean, or in a, in a long period of, of, of talking, it's, it, it's, it's quite, interesting how that final season sort of ended up being i will add one note um williams to this day 
still struggle. Uh, have they, they? Some people internally believe because of that lawsuit, because of that court case, that's the reason Williams are no longer as successful as they used to be. Because they took so much finances out of that team, it really damaged them for, for the long haul. Because after 94, Williams only win two more world titles in 96 and 97, and that's it. That like they, they don't win many Grand Prix after that, even with your friend Montoya. In 2012 was the last time Williams score a Grand Prix win, and then the last poll they ever get is in 2014, I believe. That doesn't end up being too much of a happy fairy tale for uh, for for many people in that organization. Well, I just want to say thank you, thank you again for coming with us on this trip through the life, legacy, and untimely passing of Ayrton Senna. I have learned a lot more about Ayrton Senna. I enjoy these. What do you say we uh, we do another one probably in the next couple of weeks? Does that sound good? I am more than happy to do that. There's a lot of stories to tell about uh, about legends in Formula One and all that. But I assume you want me to do like a freaking Montoya episode next or, or something like no. that. No. Something as obscure <laughs> as that, you know? Why don't we let the viewers decide? So, ladies and gentlemen, everybody, I would like to ask you... If there are any moments in time that you would like us to go through, let us know. Talk to us on the Discord. Um, if you're not a part of our Discord, please join our Discord channel. Go ahead, sign up for the link that's in our bio on Instagram. We have a, a link tree on there. Please go ahead, check it out. Sign up on our Patreon. You'll get the episode early before it releases to Spotify and everything else. Also, we're looking for more guests to appear on the show. So for those of our listeners that very involved with Formula One or any kind of motorsport, reach out to us. Talk to us. We really encourage conversation between us all. Let us know in the comments on our Instagram or hit us up on our Twitter. And uh, Willem, I just want to say thank you again for coming on the show and taking us through this. Yeah, and it's a pleasure to be on the show and to continue trying to help out any way I can. And I'm just so glad to talk about Ayrton Senna as well. Yeah. It's, this has been an amazing series and I can't wait to do more with you. With that, we will say goodbye and until next time, we will see you later. Bye. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye. Stay turned. <laughs> and Vital Brazil.